0: Today's scripture will come from the book of Exodus, chapter 5, verse 1, through chapter 6, verse 1. Exodus 5, verse 1 through 6, verse 1. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to feast to me in the wilderness but Pharaoh said who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go I do not know the Lord and moreover I will not let Israel go then they said the God of the Hebrews has met with us please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword but the king of Egypt said to them Moses and Aaron You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let have your work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, when there was straw, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today as yes and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met with Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you've made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. This is the word of the Lord.
1: But let's pray before we begin. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in ways of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Today's message is on disappointment, as you can see here, and I'm not talking about the disappointment you get when you don't have enough pickles on your burger. I am talking about a deep and personal disappointment that extends from hurt, and that's what we'll be exploring today. And right from the get-go in verse 1, because it's a long chapter, I'm just going to go straight into it. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, and Lord here is Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, because remember, Yahweh revealed himself to Moses and Aaron. Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And we went over how a name is important. So what's in a name? And I think last uh, three weeks ago, I talked about Meghan Markle. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember I talked about Meghan Markle. Let me look her up again. And I typed in M-E-R-K-L-E, and nothing came up. I was like, oh, what was her name? It was Markle, but I I thought it was Markle. That's how much I know. But if Meghan Markle went before and said, let me in, who's going to open the door? But now she's the Duchess of Sussex, so if she goes, let me in into palace gates, of course they're going to let us go, let her go. So in that sense, Yahweh gives his people or his servants his name, say, this is who you are. This is the key to entry to the palace, to the special place, to royalty, in a sense. So this is what they do. They bring the name of Yahweh to Pharaoh and goes, this is what Yahweh says, let my people go. And then in verse 2, Pharaoh says, but Pharaoh said, who's Yahweh? Who's this guy, right? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know Yahweh. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And this is when something happens and you're like, wait a minute. I thought the key was going to work. What's going on? You said it would work. It's not working. And Pharaoh literally says, I do not know Yahweh. And this is an opposite kind of view and person, uh, attitude that to have as opposed to Abraham. When Yahweh revealed himself to Abraham, Abraham would say in Genesis 18, he would say, I am dust and ashes. And the college group went over this in Job. When the Lord reveals himself to Job, he responds with, I am in dust and ashes. But Pharaoh takes the opposite. So we see that even if we reveal the name of Yahweh or the name of the Lord, the response isn't always, I am in dust and ashes. Pharaoh literally said, I don't know this guy. I don't know Yahweh. And then, so what they needed to do was they would do what any normal person would do. If you said the key is going to work to open the door, you put in the key, you're going to jiggle it. And if it doesn't work, you're going to take it out, look at it, blow on it, and then try it again. So this is what they did. And then they said, the God of the Hebrews, that's who Yahweh is. The God of the Hebrews met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. This is literally what God told Moses and Aaron to say. It's right there in Exodus 3.18 when we went over it. This is what God says to Moses. This is what you are to say. And he does it. And it doesn't work. This is weird. You know, you're trying to put that key in and jiggle it again. But here, the Pharaoh responds even more harshly. Why do you take people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And then Pharaoh goes, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest. And then he goes, you will no longer give them straw to make the bricks like you did in the past. And you will continue to impose on them the quota that you had but you won't give them straw because they're lazy or idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and have this feast or offer a sacrifice. So basically what Pharaoh is saying now is Pharaoh is saying, I'm not the boss. I mean, I'm the boss. Pharaoh is saying, I'm the boss, not you, not this Yahweh. And this is reminiscent of many slave masters and employers' mindsets because he says that the people of Israel are idle. And this is basically the mindset of many even bosses today. You guys are so lazy. Why can't you just do the work that you need to do? I'm going to have to discipline you all. No more straw, and you still have to work your 10 hours a day, complete all the projects you had to do, or you're fired. And don't worry, I'm not writing my own ESV. ESV is Eugene's sumptuous version. I I thought about that and I was thinking we should use the word sumptuous more. And then I take it back. But um, so what basically Pharaoh is doing, Pharaoh is doubling down in the end by saying the words spoken by Moses and Aaron and Yahweh, therefore Yahweh, are lies. He's calling God a liar. And that's a bold move, bro. But this is what he does. And... Evidence of bricks, this mud-laden bricks, that it's cheap and easy to make. This is what they did in the past to build Egyptian houses. Evidence of bricks with roots and other kind of stubble or vegetation is there in archaeological evidence now. So this strategy of doing this to kind of psychologically psych out your slaves have been probably has been used more than once. But we see it definitely here in the Bible. So you'll see when you break open some bricks, it just has like roots in it, not straw. Um, so this is what they did, and this is really interesting. In verse ten, remember in verse one, Moses and Aaron are confident because they got the hope of the Lord. They got it. Yahweh says this: "This is my name, Yahweh, and this is what you're supposed to do." So they go, "Thus says Yahweh." And now the taskmasters and the foreman of the people. Taskmasters were Egyptian, and the foremen were Hebrew. And they both went out to the people, and this is how they respond. Thus says Pharaoh. And that's really interesting. And this is what Yahweh says, but Pharaoh says, "Nope, he's not the boss. I'm the boss." And thus says Pharaoh, "I will not give you straw." And when they couldn't fill that quota, the representatives or the four men who were Hebrew were beaten by the taskmasters who were Egyptian. So what happens? Now, now all these things are now coming into play, and we're trying to tie in from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 5. Now what happens when you face this kind of nonsensical beating and torture, which was even worse than before? If it was bad before, it just got worse. So what would you do? Wouldn't you appeal to the highest power that you know of? You would appeal to the highest power that can fix this, right? So they went straight to the boss. Who's the boss? And in verse 15, Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? Why do you treat your slaves like this? No straw. You give us no straw, but you say make bricks. And Pharaoh responds, That's right. I am your boss. But you know why I beat you? Because you're lazy. You want to give a worship service to God and not do your work. And they find no solace in Pharaoh. I'm going to take a little quick break here. And I want to go into describing what this feast or this worship service is and what that meant. And we call this Sunday service a worship service. And worship, of course, comes from the word in Old English, worth and ship. So this is what we do. We give worth. And service is, this is our work, to give worth to the one who is worthy, right? So that's the question. There is a dichotomy here. There is a contrast that's being portrayed. To whom do you give your worth in your service or slavery? Remember, in the Hebrew, it's the same word. And even in the Greek, Do loss the same word, service and slavery. Who do you work for? Who do you give your worth in your work? To whom do you work for and give that worth? And we are not to miss the point on this because to whomever you ultimately work for is to whom you give worship. And yes, it could be your boss. It could be your parents. To whomever. Because the question we need to ask is who do you fear when you fail? Who do you do a little bit extra to so they're a little happier with you? Who would you really want to be like, I like this guy, I like Eugene, he's a good guy. Who do you want to hear that from? And when you get their disapproval instead of their approval, Who gets you crushed? You see, the thing that's being pointed out here is the people didn't go to God first. They didn't go to even God's representatives, their pastors, first. Who did they go to? Because Pharaoh knew it was more than just a feast. This took his slaves, the people that he owned, away from him, and away from their service to him. So he crushed them like every other force and idol in the world. So he's basically an idol who calls you idol while crushing you. And when you are crushed and disappointed, you have to find someone to blame. That's just, that's just who we are as people. Whose fault is it? And you know, growing up, we have these idioms that we learn and you know we're we're taught like don't cry over spilled milk, you know things like that. But then, let's be honest with ourselves. If I came home right now, if I went home and milk was spilled on the floor, I'm going to cry. <laughs> um, when milk is spilled on the floor, I'm going to blame someone. I'm not, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say this milk must have just got out of the fridge, and decided to spill itself all over the floor. And especially when it's your milk, and you know you need this milk, that's when you cry. Ask any baby. But milk just doesn't appear, so you need someone to blame. And who do they blame? In the end, they blame Moses. So in verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. It seems like Moses and Aaron was like, Ooh, looks like they got beat. Let's just, let's just stay out here and see what happens. And so they were waiting for them, and they came out from Pharaoh, and they said, now, they invoke the name of Yahweh. They invoke the name of the Lord and say, the Lord look at you and judge you because you made us a stink to our boss. And now they're going to kill us. And so you see, now we, we're crying over the spill, because that's just who we do, who we are. And if we're, we're if we think we're so big, it's like well, we're not going to cry over spilled milk. It's because we continue to tell ourselves that, right? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're crying over the spilled milk. It hurts, you know. If you if you have a big business and it fails, you're going to cry over it, and not just be like mm, there's go- there goes a million dollars. You know, sometimes money comes and goes. Uh, no one does that, and so. Even if we say it, we're just trying to soothe ourselves. But this is what really happens. Inside, you just need someone to blame. It's like, oh, if only that guy listened. If only this happened. If only Pastor Eugene would have listened to me, then the CGS wouldn't be in this spot. And that's exactly what they did. If only stupid Moses and Aaron didn't do that. And so they go and go, Yahweh, judge you. And then the blame game starts. I, I remember every time we have something and something goes wrong, I remember this truth playing out even in my workplace. Um, when I first started out as a trader, uh, my manager would sit next to me, and he was one of the best traders on the floor. And every time a trade, a bad trade happened, he would invoke the name of the Lord meaning he would say, Jesus Christ, right? He would say this, and I would turn to him and go, yes? And he goes, oh, not you, the other one. And then he stopped doing it because I was taking his blasphemy to another level. This is not what I recommend that anybody do, but I was just trying to prove a point. Um, and he would even, he goes, oh, I'm, I'm atheist. I was like, okay, but I'm not. Uh, and, you know, he he would still need something to do, something to kind of, just release someone to blame so he would say jesus christ which i thought was really interesting but that's what we are you know when something really bad happens and we think we we don't deserve it or it shouldn't have happened or this is really terrible and then we get this really deep down disappointment whatever it is because it mattered that that milk mattered to you that milk was pretty important to you you were going to make a shake And now there's no milk to make that shit. Okay, anyway, I'm going a little long on this. But whatever that milk means to you, you really wanted it. And you didn't get it. And this deep disappointment happens. And it could be in your workplace. It could be in your family. It could be in all these things. And then you start to blame. You have to because you're so angry. And then they would even take the the Lord's name in vain in the office. So the blame game starts. I blame you, Moses. You're supposed to be in charge. You're the elder or pastor of this group. And I want to take us back really quick. Remember Adam and Eve when we did Genesis? Adam and Eve, when God goes, what is this thing that you have done? What does Adam do? He starts the blame game too, but this time it goes down the chain, right? He goes, oh, this woman that you made me, And then he goes, okay, Eve, what happened? And Eve goes, oh, this snake is a slippery one, right? And so it goes down the chain. But this time, it's a little different. It goes up the chain. And up the chain, it goes to Moses. And then Moses and Aaron go take this really deep hurt, because it's pretty hurtful, and take this deep disappointment, and they go to God. They go, God, why God? Does God deserve it, though? Does God deserve it? We can maybe argue, yeah, your boss deserves that blame. And if you're employed and have a boss over you, I really find it rare that someone's like, my boss is good. Maybe not perfect, but he's a really good person. If people tell me that I immediately think you're a good person, that's what I think. Um, But most people complain about their boss. And uh, we bring that blame up the chain, right? That's what happens. And as it goes up to the chain, it eventually goes to God. Does God deserve the blame? Does he deserve it? Because if we continue to read chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, if you go to verse 19, he literally says, God literally says that Pharaoh at first will not listen to you. He tells them that. Pharaoh won't listen to you, Moses. Verse 19 right after you said what i told you to say and this is a truth that we need to understand when we first obey god a lot of times most times and i dare say this i believe essentially essentially and eventually all the time it will get harder but that's true with anything that's true with anything because how because we never associated apparently with God, with faith in God. Look, oh my, look, I have the gift of prophecy. And then if you think you have the gift of prophecy and you get something wrong, you immediately stop. I'm disappointed, God. I thought I had the gift of prophecy. Or you have the gift of teaching. You think you have this gift, you have this talent, and three people fall asleep during your lecture and you're like, ah, forget this. I thought God gave me this gift I'm a Christian. Jesus saved my soul. And all of a sudden, the sun is never supposed to set on your life. The sun is never supposed to go down. And this is not true. Jesus himself says, in this world, you will have tribulation or troubles. Does God deserve it? But God tells Moses, Aaron, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But we bring that blame to God. Eventually, it always goes up to God. Does he deserve it? But here's the more amazing part. In Exodus 6:1, it says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive and or expel the, them out of this land. He, he, he goes even further in his language. He's, gonna, he, he's not just going to send you out. He's going to drive you. I'd like, Get out of here. But see, this is the more amazing part. Every time blame is sh- shifted, it doesn't matter if it goes down or up or sideways, whatever it does, people deflect the blame. If, if I went home and I saw spilled milk and I went to my wife, why is there spilled milk? Basically, I'm bl- blaming her, right? Why is there spilled milk here? And then she goes, well, the fridge is kind of rickety. It's like, so who opened the fridge last? Because I wasn't here all the And, you know, that conversation would go on. And you would start deflecting blame. But here's the more amazing part. God doesn't deflect the blame. I want you to let that sink. God doesn't deflect the blame. And he's even not to blame. But you might say, why? He doesn't deserve it. But God takes it. He takes your hurt. He takes your disappointment. He takes your sadness. He takes your hopelessness. When Moses gave God his disappointments, God didn't shoot it back at him and say, I told you this would happen. Are you listening? He doesn't say that. And there's a reason why Pharaoh doesn't listen to him right away, and that's revealed in chapter 7 and 9. There's a reason why he's doing it. God doesn't do anything willy-nilly, and this is what we explored. There's a reason why he came out uh, as a burning uh, fire in the bush. Um, there's, there's a reason why he did uh, the snake, the staff turning the snake, the leprous hand, the, the water being poured out turning to blood, and we went over all these things. There's, there are reasons why. So there's a reason why this is happening but God doesn't shoot it back down to him he takes it. you know this past week I was I was really I was really kind of sad um, two people that were celebrities, yes but they were um you know they really helped like the average common folk too and I remember calling my mom and letting her know, oh by the way, this person committed suicide and she's like wow I, I, that's, that's terrible. And then she, my mom was telling me, oh, I have some of her bags and things like that. And this is so weird. Why did it happen? And uh, the the next day, a famous chef uh, committed suicide. And I remember watching one of uh, his shows. And I, I remember um, after that show, all the Korean, because I watched it because he was cooking Korean food. After that, people w- in Korea would say, he is Anthony Bourdain. He is an, an honorary Korean because he would take the food and uh, this one particular episode uh, segment. Um, I think you can find it on YouTube. He made um, army stew. He called it army stew. He's like what's army stew in Korea, and he goes mm-hmm. or you know that kind of thing. And he makes this for Anthony uh, Cooper, right? Anthony Bourdain made it to Anderson Cooper, right? And um, Anderson Cooper's like, oh, all these smells, I don't think it's gonna work. He's like, you're gonna love it, though. And then he took, uh, like, all the things that Anderson Cooper wouldn't like. He's like, well, I'm not really in the mood for this. He's like, I don't know what that pungent smell is. Oh, it's probably kimchi, right? And then he would take Spam. He's like, what is going on with the Spam? You could see Anderson Cooper's face just like, oh, this this is, I'm not gonna like this. He's like, don't worry. When it all comes together, you're gonna love it. And then Anderson Cooper eats it at the end, and he loves it. And you're like, "Yeah, Korea," you know that kind of thing. And this happened, and um, and I remember all these these stories. And then a deep sadness came over me because there was one really, really big feeling that I had, and that was I wish they knew God. I wish they knew God. And I was like, who who's telling these people about God? Because if you can't deflect the blame any longer, people can't hold it. We weren't meant to hold that blame. We can't live like that. If you continue to deflect the blame and it lands on someone, they can't house that burden. People can't do it, and this is what we're doing in the catechism. You can't house that blame, that disappointment. It eats away at your soul and your body. You get cancer, you get disease, you, your, your mind just slowly starts to go numb. You can't handle it. We weren't meant to either. But when we deflect it to God, guess what? He doesn't deflect it back to us. Why aren't you listening? I just told you, he takes that Disappointment. This is what we have to understand about our God. He takes it. Does he deserve it? But he takes it. I remember I mentioned Jesus would say, in this world, you ha- we will have trouble. You will have trouble in this world. But this is what he says before and after that line. He goes, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's what it means to be Christian and to believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. In this world, yes, I will have troubles. Yes, it will get hard. It will get dark. I will go to the valley. But my Savior says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is the one that takes our troubles and our ultimate disappointments, and he overcame them all. This is the Lord that we believe in. This is the God that we worship. He is worthy of our worship service. In 1 Peter, I want to leave you with this. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we went over this really briefly when we did the 1 Peter uh, series, but I want to remind you of these verses again. Peter says to The church, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. The attitude is important. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Take this in light of what's happening in Exodus, and take this in light of what's going on in your life. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. And it doesn't end there, because he cares for you. Our God cares for us. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve the blame that we give him, but because he cares for us, he goes, cast your anxieties, your disappointments, all your troubles on me, and I can take it. I am the Redeemer God, and I have overcome the world. What are you in trouble with right now? What is your greatest, deepest anxiety? Who do you fear if it's not God? And don't you know that is going to crush you? But God says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And this is what we are to do. Cast our anxieties on him and he is strong enough to take it. Praise God. Let's give him worship, church. Let's pray.